just pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel which has been bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. And today, as we're about to uh, open your word and, and read, read it, we pray that the gospel will bear much fruit in our lives, especially faith, hope, and love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And today's Bible reading is uh, from uh, the book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 24, to chapter 2, verse 5. And you can find this text on page uh, 954 of the Black Pew Bibles. Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not made me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we see so much suffering uh, in the world, don't we? We live in a world that suffers. We see it in the city as we see the homeless person living on the streets or in the, the natural disasters, the political upheaval, the starvation, the poverty we see on the television. We are surrounded by suffering. And then there's the things that are a little bit more personal, a bit closer to home, like the sore back or, or an injury, the sickness, disease, the, the broken relationships, the, the death of a loved one, and so much more. We see so much suffering around us. And ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve rejected God's good word, humanity and the world have been groaning 
groaning under the decay of, of sin's presence in the world. And that's just the suffering that the world experiences. What about the suffering of, of Christians around the world? Those who suffer for standing with Jesus, like those in Iran, who may convert to Christianity and face the death penalty, where people get a gun to their head and say, renounce Jesus or die. And that's just one of many places around the world where people suffer greatly, are persecuted greatly for being Christians. And while us in Australia today, we don't face the death penalty for facing uh, for following the Lord Jesus, we are told in 2 Timothy that to live a godly life will lead to persecution, will lead to suffering. Well, the Apostle Paul, he knew suffering well. As he wrote this letter uh, to the Colossians, he was under house arrest in Rome for speaking, for declaring the goodness of, of Jesus to the world around him. And yet whilst he suffered, he rejoiced. Have a look there at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now Paul rejoices in what he's suffering because he suffers for the church's good. But I wonder, were you distracted as the Bible was read there. Were you like, Paul's filling up something that's lacking in Jesus? What? His afflictions, his suffering? What? Something's missing? What, what do you mean? What's going on? What, what, how did Christ's suffering, how is it lacking? And, and they're the right questions to ask because, because of other passages that we know, like Romans 6. The death he died, he died to sin once, for all, 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to, to bring us to God. And, and even from Colossians chapter 1 uh, from last week, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. There is absolutely nothing lacking when it comes to the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Atonement, new life, salvation, justification, and all the other big words that end in shin, all of those were achieved for us once for all through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Nothing can be added. They are not lacking at all. But it does beg the question, what is lacking? Let's have another look. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. You see, Christ suffers for the church. Even today, for the last 2,000 years, Christ suffers for the church. You see, as his people suffer, Christ is suffering. We see it most clearly in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul, who, who's writing this letter to, to the Colossians, uh, before he became and trusted the Lord Jesus, his name was Saul. And uh, he was uh, on, his, on the road to Damascus, uh, and he was on this massive killing spree, killing Christians for declaring uh, that they believed in Jesus. And on this road, 
Jesus comes to him in the blinding light and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my people? Is that what he says? Why do you persecute my people? Or does he say, why do you persecute the church? No, he doesn't say that either. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, as Saul persecutes the church, well, actually, he's persecuting Jesus. Even though Jesus is reigning in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, as people mess with the church, they mess with Jesus. I found this uh, picture uh, this week. It says this, I'm a mum. Mess with my son and I'll destroy you faster than a Category 5 hurricane. If you mess with one, if you mess with the son, well, you mess with the mother. And that is Christ and his church. If the church is persecuted, well, Christ is persecuted. Our suffering is Christ's suffering. And it shows the closeness that Jesus has with his people, doesn't it? As we suffer, he suffers too. And you see, Paul, he rejoices as he suffers because he does so for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the church, for the good of the church, that it will grow and know him better. And as Paul suffers, he's drawn into a deeper, richer relationship with Jesus. And for us today... The Christian life is one of suffering. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy tells us. Suffering, being persecuted for the faith, isn't an optional extra, like we might get with a Jetstar flight or when buying a new car. Suffering is part of the deal. And look, if you're working out what the Christian faith means and whether you're new to it or or still investigating, weighing it up yourself, we love having you here. It's wonderful to have you here with us. But you do need to be aware that the Christian life is one of suffering, of being persecuted for the faith. Not that we suffer for being a jerk or being obnoxious to those around us, bashing people with the Bible who think differently from us. No, no, no. It is lovingly speaking of God's truth to the world around us. It is sticking our necks out, not hiding in a shell, sticking our necks out as we stand for Jesus. And to stand for Jesus will mean we do that even if it results in ridicule or persecution. And it will certainly be countercultural, like same-sex marriage and abortion and euthanasia. But when we stick to Jesus and his word... We will be different and will suffer. And I wonder if you're wondering whether why you aren't persecuted. Maybe it's because you keep your mouth shut. Like a snail, you've remained hidden in your shell, fearful. Or you only hang out with, with Christians and so never have a point to be challenged. We, we had some uh, friends over for, for some pizzas last weekend. Uh, and the conversation uh, turned to, to gay marriage and the stance of the Anglican Church. Uh, I could have ignored the comment. I could have changed the subject. I could have laughed it off. But it gave me an opportunity to speak about what the Bible teaches and, and, and the church's stance. And their reply, well, the Bible's dated, 
old-fashioned, needs updating, it's full of fairy tales, it's nonsense, it has no relevance today. When we stick our necks out for Jesus, we will face ridicule, even if it's from friendly banter, uh, from among friends who are very dismissive of, of what you believe and hold true, to an outright rejection, the loss of job, of, of family. But to live a godly life, persecution, suffering will come. Look, it won't happen daily, and it doesn't mean we have to enjoy to be a masochist. No, no, no. But Paul rejoiced in it, didn't he? For the privilege of suffering in the name of Jesus. When we stick our necks out of our shells, we too will suffer as we proclaim Jesus. Well, suffering comes when the mystery of the gospel is proclaimed. Have a look there at verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Paul's been commissioned, he's been appointed by God to make the word of God fully known. That is, the the mystery of the gospel. Now, when we hear mystery, we might think of something being complicated, hidden, unable to be uncovered, kind of like the mystery of the hidden treasure. Or we might think of something being weird and spooky. Ooh, mystery. But, But that's not the idea here. The idea is that it's been hidden, concealed, it wasn't understood, but now it's been revealed. And we see it, don't we, as we, as we read through the Old Testament, we see all these, at all these points where there's all these pointers to Jesus, to, to God's promised chosen king. And Luke 24, uh, I discovered this week in my own Bible reading, is, is a classic example of this. Uh, as Jesus was speaking to some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, after his death and resurrection, and people weren't really sure that he'd risen just yet, as he's in this conversation, he says this, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, despite the fact that there are all these pointers, as clear as a blue sky day there on the pages of scripture, You see, people didn't know. They hadn't connected the dots yet. You see, the mystery that was hidden but needed to be revealed. And so Paul reveals it by presenting the word of God in full. That is, to make the word of God fully known. And if you didn't know, that's the vision of the Anglican Church here in Melbourne, to make the word of God fully known. Uh, And for Paul... Back then, and for us today, we too need to make the word of God fully known. And we do that by preaching the Bible, the whole counsel of God, all of it. The whole Christian message which is found in the scriptures. And to do that, we need to teach all of it. The good parts and the not so good parts, we may think. Uh, The bits that we like and enjoy of God's mercy, of his love, his grace. But we've got to preach warts and all, including his anger, 
his wrath, his judgment on our rebellion and our sin. Because we won't realize how much God has loved us unless we realize how far from grace we have fallen in our rebellion, our rejection of God, the judgment we deserve, the judgment that Jesus took in our place, in his love for us. And so to make the word of God fully known, we need to preach the Bible, all of it, warts and all. And as we do, will we get the full word of God taught? What is this mystery that has been revealed? Well, verse 27, have a look there. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, it expresses the intimate closeness of Jesus having with his people, those who put their trust in him. He is so for you, he's in you, if you will just come to him. And it's the opposite from the opposite of the movie from a few years ago. Do you remember that movie, uh, He's Just Not That Into You? Uh, it's the complete opposite. Jesus, he's so for you, he's in you. Having lived the life we couldn't, died in our place, he's so into us, he rescues us. Christ in you. Paul suffers to proclaim the mystery that was hidden, that is now revealed, Christ in you, and he does it by proclaiming God's word in its fullness. That might be helpful at this kind of point to take a step back and realise kind of what's happening in the life of the Colossi church Uh, the people who have received this letter. It seems there were some dodgy, uh, false salesman teachers out there, kind of like the guy with the trench coat selling fake watches. Uh, They're trying to sell all these false, fake add-ons to Christ. They were telling people, you are missing out. You don't have the full experience. You need more the worship of angels, religious festivals, the eating of special foods, and we'll look at these next week. Uh, And while they didn't, and that they didn't have a full access to God. You see, these false, dodgy salesman teacher dudes, they were saying, ooh, there's a mystery, but only I can unlock that mystery. Have I got a deal for you? And then you can experience God in full. But you see, Paul blows them out of the water. He has been commissioned by God and reveals that the mystery is clearly there in God's word. Not for gain. There's no extra spiritual, mythical aspect that needs to be revealed. No, no, no. It's all there in God's word. Revealed through Christ, through the faithful preaching of God's word. And that is why Paul proclaims him. Have a look there at verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We proclaim him. We proclaim Jesus. We speak about him. He's on our lips. But we don't do it with, don't do it aimlessly. We do it with purpose. Our purpose to admonish everyone. We want to warn Christians and the like to, to not stray from the truth or from the faith. We want to teach everyone communicating the tr- Christian truth. 
And this proclaiming, it, it is to everyone, to all people, believers and unbelievers alike. We proclaim him to everyone. We do it to ourselves. We, we proclaim him to others, whether to the rich, to the poor, to those overseas, to our neighbours, in our workplaces, in our school, everyone, everywhere. We proclaim him in all we do. And sure, I have the privilege of doing that this morning from the pulpit and being freed up to do that uh, uh, during the week as well. But we can all do it as we knock on our neighbours' doors, as we hang out with our friends over coffee, as we send a text message, as we serve on kids' church, as we send an email, and much, much, much more. We proclaim him. And we do it with all wisdom. While Christ embodies wisdom, as we proclaim him, we proclaim his wisdom, we actually need his wisdom, though, to help us to clearly and faithfully proclaim Jesus, particularly to those who are different from us, whether different cultures, language, uh, financial situations. We need God's wisdom to figure out the restrictions and the laws that govern our land so that we can comply with them. And we also need to know them so that we can know the things we could never agree to and the things we could never compromise on in order to remain faithful to Christ and his gospel. And yet despite the restrictions and barriers and constraints we may face, we proclaim Jesus because as we speak of Jesus, it is the only way people can know him. And we proclaim Christ, verse 28, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We pro- proclaim Christ so that, so that people will be mature. Now when you think of maturity, you're probably thinking, not laughing at fart jokes, uh, mouldy old cheese uh, things for old people. But the word is actually a growth word. It is growing, maturing in the faith, becoming more Christ-like as the word is proclaimed, learning and growing and saying yes to Christ and no to sin. We've got to notice here the important place of the proclaimed word. It's as the word of Christ is proclaimed and is spoken that people grow, they mature, in their faith. And so that is why it is central to what we do here as a church. It's why we do Bible talks like this on Sunday. It's why we meet during the week to, to, to open the Bible and pray together in our discipleship teams. Because as the Bible is taught, people mature, they grow in their faith. We don't start with the Bible, then move on to some extra spiritual thing. No, no, no. We, we start with the scriptures, we start there, and we continue in it until the end. And while the false, dodgy salesman teachers try to add things onto the word and to focus on the experience that people faced, uh, had instead, well, the same thing can happen to us today. We might hear people say, well, if you really want to grow, if you really want to grow as a Christian, you've really got to go to these holy sites or you've, you've really got to go on a silent retreat. And while these things can be good and, and helpful uh, to, to go on, them alone will not help you grow. 
We need God's word to do that. And then there are other things that people may tell you, oh, you are missing out. You are missing out if you just focus on the Bible. People may say, well, you could be closer to God if you spoke in tongues, if you, if you received a second blessing, if you had healing, perfectionism, awakening, prosperity, all these, oh, you're missing out. But really people are adding on top of the things that are there but really are taking away from the goodness of what Christ has done and in fact are destroying what the scriptures say. Because in the scriptures we get the full riches of wisdom and knowledge. And while we might need to be corrected as being too knowledge focused, that we get too puffed up, that we become proud and arrogant, particularly over those who are different from us, who, who may not love the word as much as we do too, I think we need to be challenged here on this. We must love the word and be changed by it, that it changes how we live. At the very start of this letter, Paul prayed that we would grow in the knowledge of God's will so that we could live a life fully pleasing to him. You see, our knowledge grows and changes us that we may live a life that that pleases God in every way. Well, to proclaim Christ, to present everyone mature in him, seems like hard work, doesn't it? How are we going to get the energy to do it? Well, Paul tells us that he strenuously contends to the point of exhaustion to proclaim Jesus and to present everyone mature in him. But he doesn't do it alone. Have a look there at verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul strenuously, he works hard. He toils, he struggles, he strives in the best of his capabilities as he proclaims Christ. But he doesn't do it alone. He does it with the energy Christ gives him, who works within him. And that doesn't mean we just kick back and let God do it all. No, 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 no. We are are fully engaged, involved. God gives us the strength, the power to do it. It's a balance of human effort that we put in, but also being enabled by God's grace as he works within us. And so we might wonder, though, are we using our own strength as we toil for the Lord, or are we using God's strength? And so here are some questions that might help us think through about what we're, how we think about these things. Are we thankful for the privilege we have to serve the Lord Jesus? Do we have hearts of thankfulness and grace? Or are we burdened by the task? Do we do it to please God or to please others? Do we pray or do we do it on our own, on our own strength? Do we thank God regardless of what happens and take place and takes place? Or are we only thankful when what we think is best happens? And it doesn't mean that we work our guts off, never taking a break. It's not an excuse to, to burn out and overwork. No, 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 we rest 
and take breaks because we know that God is in control and sovereign over all things. We toil, we strive hard with the goods that God has given us. It's kind of like a tandem bike uh, with a parent on the front and the child on the back. Uh, the parent, in the, they do all the work. The parent is doing all the work. They're the ones pedaling, steering, pedaling hard to get up the hills, go around the corners. They do all the work. And yet at the same time, the child in the back, they're spinning their legs like crazy. They're doing their little bit, but it's actually the parent who does all the work. And we are the children on the tandem bike. We work hard at riding, proclaiming the gospel, and we do it with the Father's strength, with his energy and his power that gets us through. You see, Paul toils, he works hard for those he doesn't know because, verse 2, that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. He works hard that they may know Christ in full, that they may have the the pirate bounty of complete understanding and wisdom and knowledge in Christ. He is the knowledge and treasure they only need. And that's important because of these dodgy false salesmen who are out to deceive with their fine-sounding arguments, verse 4. Those with the gift of the gab who who come with their persuasive, plausible arguments who really teach contrary to God's word. That is why Paul strives with all he's got to proclaim Christ in full, to refute the false teachers so people cannot take away from the gospel. Paul suffers and works hard in proclaiming God's word in full. And he does it proclaiming Christ and the life that is found in him so that people will grow and found mature in him. And we too, here today, we proclaim Christ to the world around us so that everyone will be found mature in him. And while each of us will have a different role to play, we still have mouths to speak and proclaim of Christ. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we give you abundant thanks for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the way that he suffered and strived. He gave his all to boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus and for the way that you used him to see many people to come to know him, to be built up, to be matured in the faith through his faithful uh, ministry. Father, that ministry has continued to today, and so we do pray for each one of us that we too would proclaim the Lord Jesus to everyone around us, and that you might use us as we speak of Christ to the world around us that so desperately need to know him and to be saved by him, that you might use us to help present everyone fully mature in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.